It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. The uh, iPhone 6 is here. We'll talk a little bit about iPhone security. And then we've got lots of questions about all sorts of things. Uh, coming up next with Steve Gibson, it's Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 474, recorded September 23rd, 2014. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 197. Security Now is brought to you by ShareFile. Enhance your workflow, send files of almost any size easily and securely with Citrix ShareFile. Try ShareFile today for a 30-day free trial. Go to sharefile.com, click the microphone, and enter Security Now. And by... ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster, easier, and cheaper. Post your job to 50-plus job boards with one click. Try ZipRecruiter with a free four-day trial now at ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. And by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to upgrade your IT skills or prepare for certification? IT Pro TV offers engaging, informative tutorials streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device. For 30% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN30. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones, your online presence, your privacy. It's really expanded, hasn't it, into privacy as much as uh, security. Steve Gibson is here. Boy. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that I, I heard the questions you were receiving during your Tech Guy show on the weekend. And, oh, boy, are people rap, you know, like wound up and, and worried about this. So that's an interesting issue. And I'm, we're gonna, we it have really a Q&A is. episode. But uh, yeah. I think your take on this is, is very valuable. Um, you know, you and Jeff Jarvis might be on uh, opposite uh, ends of the continuum. I don't think you're in completely uh, disagreement. But um, and I think I'm more in the Jeff Jarvis end. But the issue uh, comes up a lot of uh, trust and privacy. And uh, my feeling is if you get too crazy about this stuff, then we're not going to get the technologies that we have. I mean, uh, if you're going to use the Internet and technology, if you if you want it to be safe, completely private and safe, you're going to break it. Yeah, I, I think we're going through a rough patch as a consequence. I mean, in in the entirely um, predictable reaction to the Edward Snowden revelations mm -hmm, and the NSA, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. arguably nothing has really changed. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I, I one one of my followers broke down the the. Uh, the CA Trust Root Store in iOS 8, which Apple published, they said, here are the, the trusted roots that we trust uh, in iOS 8. And, it's, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But it's it, very interesting. It absolutely supports my contention that us running around in circles like, you know, something's on fire uh, is just an expenditure of energy for no purpose. The idea, I mean, I'm, I'm, and my point is that I'm sure in deep in the bowels of the intelligence agencies, 
all of us, all of our hand wringing over, you know, maybe there's a flaw in the pseudo random number generator that got slipped into this. And oh my God, you know, while the DOD, the, the U.S. Department of Defense has, and I'm scrolling down to look for it here, five, five trusted root certificates in the Apple Trust. So they can make any certificate they want. They don't need to crack any crypto. They have the front, they have keys to the front door. They don't need any tr freaky backdoor, you know, like, oh my God, maybe the bits have a slight skew from <laughs> pure entropy. Well, so that's interesting because we were, we didn't know this for sure last week. We were saying it's likely. And so there, there that is the fact. Yeah. And, and the Hong Kong Post Office is listed in Apple's list. But is that and the Chinese government, the Hong Kong Post Office? Is that who imagines that if the if the Chinese government says we'd like a right. certificate, that Hong Kong Post Office is going to say right. no? Right. I mean, you know, it's probably an operating branch. So anyway, so um, what what I what I what I started to say was I, I don't think there's been any massive change at all. I mean. One of the questions in, in, in the Q&A, which we'll get to, uh, is a great discussion starting point for like for the work that Google is doing to move things forward. And I, I completely agree with its assertion and the idea that in general, it's just useful to – I mean, the, the, these are useful things to study, useful things to look at. And the internet ought to move to encryption, if only because we've gone from, you know, AOL email as pr pretty much all anything was, all anything, <laughs> all anyone was doing to real dependence. I mean, we, we've, we've, in, in, in the same way you sort of, you know, my, my advice about people using PCs, would, they, they would say, oh, Oh, yeah, I don't really back it up because there's nothing on there. We just, you know, surf the net and, and answer email from Aunt Edna. And I said, well, the, or, and, and this also came up back back in the days of firewalls. It's like, oh, we're really not worried about the security of our computer. And I said, well, you know, what's going to happen is your usage is going to creep over time. It's going to expand. Your bank will say, hey, you know, we'll give you a lower rate. If you'll, if you won't ever show up in our facilities, if you'll just do this online, um, I, I was planning a trip for a nephew's wedding of, over the weekend, and uh, I, I had to change plans at the last minute. And I was at the gate, and the, this gate attendant said, "Would well, you have a smartphone?" And I said, "Yeah." And and she said, "Well, it's cheaper if you just go over and do it on that. If I don't have to talk to you, it's like, oh, okay." So that's a good tip. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. So yes, thank you. So what happens is our usage expands, yet our the but but our security lags, and that it's that window that exists between our expanded usage and security. Security lags. I mean, this is really what Google was 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 working to 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 directly address in last week's topic of forcing forcing end user sites to to fix their certificates preemptively 
is they were looking at the lag they saw last time and saying, oh, let's, you know, we're, we, we have the power to force a change, so let's use it. And, and so what, what I'm seeing is a, a continual increase in people's use of this global network for, thing, for things that are increasingly private. So whereas, you know, it might have just been fan mail from Aunt Edna, now it's things that they realize they really do want to imagine they're keeping private. And, and even though I would argue ultimately they can't because governmental power can crack our crypto unless, I mean, sort of the generic operating crypto. If I encrypt something with a key that you and I have have only you and I share, Leo, I'm absolutely certain that I can send that blob to you and it cannot be cracked. But things like, you know, website communications, which are now encrypted increasingly by default, yeah, that can be opened if if there's, you know, if somebody with sufficient resources like a government chooses to do that. But but still in general, I think the the movement toward everything being encrypted. I mean, that's where we're headed. And everything being encrypted is better than it not be. It, it's it if nothing else, it prevents the casual sniffing, which we've seen in open Wi-Fi situations that just discloses an amazing amount of information. And 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 so well, we're just sort of moving in the right direction and having a lot of fun in the meantime. Yay. Well, uh, we got a Q&A today. You've got tech news. We do. We, uh, uh, I do have the, the, the note. I've not gone through this white paper. Um, I'm probably just after, because there's the not Apple, a huge... The Apple white paper, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Th- thank you. I'm looking here at the, wor- at the words Apple iOS security, and I realize our listening audience can't see where my eyes are focused. Um, that... Um, it's been such a short time since we did an exhaustive coverage of iOS 7. And there there are apparently some things that have changed, but the bulk of to, of iOS 8 security was reflected in that iOS 7 security. So I plan to read through it and probably come back with, okay, here's the things that I see that have changed in 8 from 7. And I mean and there has been news of improved security. Well, the um, big the TLDR, uh, the big one is that Tim Cook has said and I of course we trust him that uh, they now encrypt the data on the iPhone in such a way that they cannot hand it over to the feds. Yes, I think that's really interesting that 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 they're saying that that no longer can they even accept phones in this escrowing you know, uh, queue where ultimately they get to it and then they perform some sort of brute force attack. They're, they're saying no. And, and I think it's, he's clearly keyed in on, on exactly the, the angst that some of your callers over the weekend were expressing. They're saying we, we're about privacy because these, these little slabs of beauty are our product you are not. Whereas, of course, he's clearly aiming at Google saying, you know, their harvesting of everything they can learn is the way they generate more revenue. So, you know, so he's using that as, as, as a differentiating point. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Also, Cloudflare, 
announced what they call keyless SSL that I want to just take note of. Google and Dropbox have teamed up with a new venture. Uh, Google, uh, a bunch of people uh, tweeted me about a malvertiser that was operating um, under Google's nose, which they stomped on. And I have a huge thanks to offer Android users everywhere. Uh-oh. And, and, Uh-oh. and 10, 10 really interesting <laughs> questions and talking points from our users, uh, from, from our listeners. Coming up. Uh, on security now. All right. Well, this is good. We're going to get right into this in uh, in just a second. Before we do, though, let's talk a little bit about the most secure way to share files in business. A lot of you, in fact, do this. I would say on many business emails, more than half, have an attachment, a document of some kind, a contract, a PowerPoint presentation, drawings, what, whatever it is. Well, a couple of things to talk about with that. First of all, you hear us say all the time, don't open attachments. That's a very common way for malware to spread through the internet. We also point out that no email is uh, is secure uh, on the internet if it's unencrypted. We just talked about that. That uh, your, your, your email is like sending a postcard. So that document is wide open. And of course, there's the issue of bounce backs. These files are awfully big. In fact, let's just stop attaching files to email. Let's start using Citrix share file. It's secure file sharing storage to there's a reason 99% of the Fortune 500 uses ShareFile. It's uh, using encryption to protect the files you share in business, whether it's a contact list or spreadsheets, presentations. No more file size restrictions. Giant files can be sent. Bounce backs are over. Clogged inboxes, security breaches. You don't lose control of the file with ShareFile. You can control who has access, for how long they have access. You can get an email alert when files are opened and reviewed. It's just more efficient. Plus, because ShareFile is also file sharing, I, I have a ShareFile folder on my computer. It's automatically synchronized with the, with the cloud, and I can get to it anytime with the free ShareFile apps on my mobile devices. ShareFile is fantastic. I invite you to visit ShareFile right now at ShareFile.com. Click the link uh, up at the top where it says podcast listeners, and you can try it free for 30 days. Start your free trial. Just use our offer code security now so they know you heard about it on Steve's show. One word, security now. Uh, do customize it for your business because the nice thing about ShareFile is it's HIPAA compliant. So if you're in the medical uh, business, you'll want to you want to use those features. Uh, they are... Uh, Compliant with financial regulations, you know, in the SEC regulations in the financial industry. True encryption, true security, because you're not sending the file, you're sending a secure link. And it's so easy to use. In fact, your customers and clients will love it because they don't have to jump through hoops. They don't have to join anything or sign up. They just download the file. Sharefile.com. Click the microphone at the top of the page. Use the offer code security now for 30 days free. All right, Steve. So um, we, I, will, I will do a deep dive into the iOS updated white paper, which as is, which is Renee expected, uh, I'm well aware of, and see what I can find that, that they've changed. But <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine what that might be because as, as far as I could tell, they pretty much have it nailed. But... Um, what I, what I thought was interesting, um, there's a blog posting, as I mentioned, but that, of an analysis that was done. Uh, his name is Carl Cornell. 
K-A-R-L dot K-O-R-N-E-L dot U-S. And so if our listeners are interested, uh, there's more details that I'm going to cover here. I'm just going to touch on some of his, his brief, uh, his, sort of the, 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 the bullet points here. So, for example, um, there are in, in iOS 8, 222 trusted root certificates, meaning that any certificate signed by any of those 222 roots is trusted because we are trusting all of those roots. Um, um, the bulk of the certificates, those root certificates, are signed using 2048-bit RSA um, signatures, and, that, so that, and that's 138 of the 222 is so so 2048 bit which is sort of the that's the the existing but f- but fading out standard being replaced rather quickly by 4096 bit signatures 44 of the of the certificates of the root certs are signed using 4k bit RSA signatures and and it's this is all kind of confusing because that these are, I mean, 4,096 bits is an incredibly long signature, but that's because RSA itself isn't as strong as some of our newer technologies. So, for example, the also the next generation ECC, the elliptic curve signatures, 12 of the CAs have th- uh, 384 bit Um and so that's 384 bits of ECC signature is pr- roughly equivalent to the strength of 4,096 bit RSA. That is, you just need a lot more bits to make the problem under RSA sufficiently difficult to solve to to the same s- similar difficulty as you can get using only 384 bits of elliptic curve and since bits take time to process that's also why ECC is seeing much more popularity it it achieves equivalent strength which with a much shorter key and that equates to much faster processing time because you just have to deal with fewer bits um so um uh so um those are the the various keys um uh, the the predominant signature algorithm um, is still SHA one. 149 of the CAs are hashing their certificate um, using SHA one. Uh, so that's 149 SHA one. Next down is what we were talking about last week. SHA two fifty six forty two. Certificate authorities use SHA-256, um, 17 SHA-384, and one of them SHA-512. Uh, and st- oddly enough, there are three certificate authorities that have signed their cert with MD-2 that's like, uh, and I'm curious actually to know which, which three they are because, you, you know, that's just 
That's crazy, MD2. I mean, that's worse than MD5. And 10 CAs have their certs signed by MD5. The problem is that the root doesn't expire. These root certs, um, they like have expirations in 2038. And I don't, I'm not sure they'll go any further. 2038 is a weird year because I think that's the year that the Unix time wraps around. And we're going to be, if the podcast is still going in 2038, we may actually have a YQ2K experience then. Because when uh, when the Unix time wraps, uh, we're, we may be in for some fun. Because although it's been understood that that's happening for a long time and extensions have long since existed for that. But I do, for some reason, I'm... I'm remembering certificates expiring in 2038. The point, the point is that the roots don't expire because they're built in to our infrastructure. It's the signatures, it, it, it's the certificates that they sign which expire every two or three years and, and need to be continuously renewed. So uh, some, some interesting demographics there. However, I'll just wrap by saying that Carl scanned, just visually scanned the list and noted a number of governments that have certificate trusted root certs in Apple's iOS 8 store. And I don't mean to be singling Apple out at all. I mean, I'm sure this is the same certificate store that is in the Macs. And if anything, Microsoft trusts twice as many. If I, if, as I remember, they're in the 400s. Of, of of root certs. So Microsoft is probably a superset of these. But for example, we've got a certificate not only from the Hong Kong Post Office, but China itself. The China Internet Network Information Center has is, is a trusted certificate signer. Uh, Japan has three CAs certificate authorities. The Netherlands has three. Taiwan has one. Turkey has one. And the United States has five, as I mentioned, via the Department of Defense. So these are all equally trusted, meaning that in the same way that that um, that Google, well, Google may be an exception, at least under Chrome, because they do so much certificate pinning, um, like, you know, they're able to spot certificates, uh, forged Google certificates if you're using Chrome because they look at this, uh, they, they, they look at the exact signature, not just to see if it, if the signature is valid. Um, but, uh, what, what I, what I was going to say was that these, these, all of these roots being trusted is, I mean, what that implies is that, they can sign a certificate for any website they choose and no alarm gets raised. Now, anyone scrutinizing the certificate chain would see that this terminates in an odd place. It wasn't signed by VeriSign or DigiCert or GoDaddy or one of the biggies. It was signed by China or it was signed by the U.S. DOD. But for selective decryption, like that is for, for, for selective interception of specific traffic, it's difficult to imagine that they, that on, if, if it, because they risk exposure, 
because they can't do this and have it completely unseen, but they certainly can do it on demand. I, I'd be very surprised if this wasn't something that was being done on a limited basis. That is, if these, you know, if these, this wide body of trust isn't doing things we wouldn't expect. And everyone will actually, people who have either started recently listening to the podcast from the beginning or have really good memories um, will remember the podcast when, after years of being away from looking at the trusted route, uh, I had an occasion to to look at it, and I came back on the podcast, and I said, oh, my God, Leo. I mean, <laughs> I remember when I there do. were 12. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Was, and I, and and the I, Hong I Kong Post Office that, has been the butt of a joke ever since. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I, I remember saying, this is bad. I mean... <laughs> And then I explained why why, right. why my mind was blown. Yeah. That's that like without without me paying attention or anyone particularly paying attention, it had gone from like twelve companies who were in the business of selling certificates to like the Hong Kong Post Office right. and and you know everybody else who we were trusting equally, and and so you know and you know just like well that's the way the that's the way it works. But again, it's. I think the point here is is to understand what's going on to and that's what the podcast is for to explain that what we're what we're getting now is an is a useful next level of encryption but it is still not TNO TNO is different TNO means you're not even trusting the root certs. You're not trusting anybody. TNO, trust no one, means you're you have a you have arranged to have a key. You've encrypted your data yourself, and you've given it to somebody else, to whom you have somehow managed to 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 communicate that key. That technology, I believe, cannot be cracked. That I mean, period. I mean, really, truly, but. That's not the security most people use. Most people use a security which, you know, is good. You know, it's like it's like iMessage. It's like if Apple is handing you the keys, if, if, if you know, people say, oh, Apple doesn't have the keys. Well, yes, they do because they've, they've, they've given me the key which I've used to sign a message to someone else. So they could also give me a key to sign a message to them, and I wouldn't know it. So, so the point is, we are getting encryption. It's better than not having it, but it isn't TNO. TNO has the has the beauty of being absolute. We can say this is absolute security, and it isn't what most people use. But you know, most people really don't need that level of of crazy absolute security. Um, Cloudflare is a service that we've talked about. One of our uh, uh, favorite techies, John Graham Cunning, Cumming, sorry, uh, is is one of the technologists there over in the UK, um, and he did the book. Uh, what was it? It was the really yeah, technical. A couple of things. This- one was the travel, uh, like the top thirty uh, spots geeks should see in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really neat things. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's a neat guy. We've known him for years. Yeah. Yes. 
Anyway, um, he also got uh, uh, um, Alan Turing's name. He got the apology from the British government. Oh, did he? Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. right. I forgot. Yeah. Yes, we, yeah. and we we did talk about that. And yeah. in fact, somebody somebody sent me or tweeted something. I don't remember what it was, but it was just recently. They had they had gone to the museum and were really moved. Oh, yeah. By the strength of the apology yeah. that yeah. that was was now there and was, and was it Tony Blair pop- I think it was I don't think it was Cameron I think it was Tony Blair anyway yes so he's a great guy so the question is um their business is protecting websites from attack and they've had a problem which is if they are what the web browser connects to when it wants a secure session, they have to have the keys for the website that they're standing in for, and they need to stand in for the website in order to filter the traffic. Um, in their blog posting announcing, and this is just in the last week, announcing what they call keyless SSL. They explain how two years ago in 2012, they got a call from one of the world's largest banks in New York uh, at a time when they were just a small startup. And this banker, the like CEO or CIO said, we're suffering denial of service attacks of a, of a strength we can't handle. We need to talk. Can you guys come? And and the author of the blog uh, posting for Cloudflare said, you know, we were, you know, a small team, uh, and he 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 he, <laughs> he took a little uh, tangent and talked about, you know, who wore shorts too often and and Hawaiian shirts and so <laughs> forth, and said, we, we we please don't wear your khakis, please don't wear your khakis to the meeting of the president of the largest <laughs> bank in the world. Um, so they flew to the states, they flew to New York met with the banker and 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 or the CIO and the problem was that the bank wanted the protection needed the protection of a massive pipe and denial of service filtering technology in front of the bank's network yet being the bank they could not release the keys they said in fact any any discovery that we have lost control of our private server keys requires an immediate disclosure to the fed to the US federal government wow i mean it's it is critical so these guys flew home and it's funny cuz he said that they they spent some time on the chalkboard and their minds the, the engineers minds got engaged and and they named someone I don't remember his name, but and he said he's the kind of guy who cannot sleep when he's working on a problem. And he says that is a hiring criteria at Cloudflare. Um, so <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it was great. I want to work there. <laughs> yes, I love that. So they've just announced a solution to the problem. Um, they, they, it's not hard to do it in a way that doesn't scale. It's very difficult to do it in a way that scales. And I've not looked at the white paper. There's a technical nitty-gritty details white paper. I will check it out and figure out 
and see if there's enough meat there because it's interesting. I mean, it's a, it's an it's an intriguing problem in security. You you basically you need to farm out. You need to subcontract the SSL, the TLS, HTTPS negotiation to a third party while never giving them your security certificate. So somehow they're, they've arranged to proxy the connection. And I mean, and again, immediately you can see how it's possible. We've talked about the SSL handshake, how there, there, there's a communication process. So one could imagine that there was probably a way for them to send a, a query to New York to get some of the crypto stuff, which then comes back and then they send it to the client and so forth, where they're sort of being a privileged man in the middle, but they need to do it in a way that doesn't disclose any of the sensitive crypto material that that the the party that they're they're standing in for has. And they've solved it. So anyway, I got a, a, a bunch of people wanted to make sure that I knew about that. I do. Uh, and I will dig into it and uh, and see if I've said all that really needs to be said or if there's some, you know, if it's an interesting topic for the, for the podcast. Meanwhile, Google and Dropbox have uh, – this just sort of is a news bullet, not a lot of technical news here. In fact, none. But I thought it was interesting that they had formed a team. They've created a new entity called Simply Secure at simplysecure.org. And pretty much nothing is there right now. They've just, I guess they've just sort of, they created an, an organization called Simply Secure. Um, they are, their charter is to search for ways to bring the security in the lab to the real world. Recognizing that, and and the, the one, one one of the team leaders has spent time at Google. She she was involved in the second factor work and just sort of in general in in security focused, you know, customer facing, user facing security. And you know, we all recognize that there is cryptographic technology that isn't yet being used. I mean, my own squirrel system, which is, you know, it's not a breakthrough. It's just the application of standard crypto. It's like, look, that's why I was tempted to call it HIPS, hiding in plain sight, because I was like, okay, why hasn't anybody done this? So, you know, that's an example of something really simple, really secure that just isn't being used. So anyway, I, we, we don't know what's going to come out of them, but I wanted to just sort of note the the, the spawning of this organization, simplysecure.org by Google and Dropbox. Uh, and we'll kind of keep an eye on it and see if they come up with something interesting. And uh, Google did have a problem this last week. They shut them down on Friday uh, with a what's called a malvertiser. There, they were servicing. They were serving ads through their DoubleClick subsidiary. They remember they bought DoubleClick a few years back uh, from a another ad network um, called Zedo. Uh, Zedo.com, and one thinks that the, this was one of those uh, domain name-driven <laughs> companies where it's like, okay, what names are left? Zedo is yeah. left. Okay, <laughs> fine. Well, that's only four letters. That's good. We'll go with Zedo. You did check Squirrel.com. I hope. 
Uh, oh yeah, that was I was gone a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Although I got it in a few of the you know random you know off brand domains, but you know just just to have it. Hey, at this for, point, parents ought to check the uh, the uh, web to make sure they can get their kids' names for the URL. Don't name a kid John Smith. I mean, forget it. You'll never find him. Yeah, and boy, will he get spam. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I think all watch, because kids' names are going to get wild soon. Yeah, I, I think it hasn't, it's been a while since I've mentioned, but Jenny uh, told me that she had a friend, Diana, who was just being buried under spam. And unfortunately, Diana has her own domain name for her her yoga dojo or whatever it's called. And so it's Diana at yogadojo.com yeah uh and and i and when jenny said you know what can she do i said she can change her email address and and i've looked at the packet traffic at grc's smtp servers and it is it random it's not even lists all common first names Yes, yes. It the something connects and it just sits there yep. and tr- and goes through you know Bob and Bill and Benny and Bert and yep. Bernadine and yeah. a- and so forth. And you know for a long time I was Steve at grc.com, but of course I got I was being killed not because I was I mean I had an email address for a long time be- because my name was my email address was just Steve. And and what I realized was all. In fact, it's one of the nice things we have now is if a if a, uh, I'm using M or H mail server and it will see that behavior and put in a temporary uh, blacklist of any web server that connects well, and has cool. like three misfires yeah. of of names that don't exist in our domain at all it just says okay this guy's just guessing we're right. just going to block from now on you know smart you know, smart um, That's yeah good. blacklist them yeah so anyway this this zedo.com uh was uh, was probably i mean they i looked at that at their website they looked legitimate too so i think what happened was they were inadvertently hosting a malicious ad that somebody sent through their network, which they then sent through DoubleClick, which then Google sent out to uh, Last.fm was one of the big sites hosting these mal this malvertising, the Times of Israel and the Jerusalem Post. So, I you know draw your own conclusions, but those were the three that were mentioned as being the heavy carriers of this malicious ad, which was hosting. JavaScript, of course, which would then download the Zermot downloader, Z-E-R-M-O-T, which is well-known. Microsoft knows about it. Windows Defender and Security Essentials both know about it. So, you know, pretty much anybody who had good, active, up-to-date anti-malware would probably not have had a problem. But anybody who wasn't running anti-malware and visited those sites... Um, and I don't think you needed a click. I think it was a no user action required. The script just ran and, you know, somehow leveraged some some behavior in the browser to get outside of the browser sandbox and people were being infected. So uh, the moment Google found out, they, which was last Friday, they, they foreclosed. They they lowered the boom on Zito. Yeah, and this uh, isn't the first time this has happened. We've seen yeah. it happen uh, with any kind of autom. Yahoo's had it happen to them. Automated 
um, advertising platform, you know, it, they're set up so that you don't have to get anybody's approval. You just buy an ad yes. and you put it in there. Well, they got to fix that. That's not a good, you know, unattended uh, HTML and uh, and CSS and who knows what else. Yeah, it's not it, a good it's thing. A, it is a really, I mean, it, it, it's an inherent an inherent problem with the way the advertising model has developed. Yeah. I mean, and and I've talked about this when you know I see because I'm using NoScript, if I'll, I'll I'll like click on the little logo in the toolbar, and I, I look at the the number of domains which are enumerated there by NoScript, which are are referred to by the page I am visiting and trying to provide their own content to this page. I mean, so, so the, 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 the truth is that, that, that servers are, are trusting a vast network of other content and, and it's just sort of it's it's sort of accrued over time like barnacles. It's like oh well, we want to be able to you know use the features of jQuery. So jQuery, you know, is now one of the blobs that each web page we serve. I don't mean we GRC because I don't use them, but but you know that's that's the way these things are done. Is is browsers are pulling from an incredible number of third parties and one type of of third party that just tends to be a little more in the gray zone uh is ad ad servers you know they're just serving lots of ads and so and the fact that they're that they they have the ability to change the content at will and in some cases to make them um sensitive to the context of the user or where they're visiting you know it's like well ads on this site will tend to have this kind of content um, th- that means that that you're not able to lock them down and like check the script and then ask it to to qualify through some checksum. The ads are just changing all the time, so it's it's a disturbing it's a disturbing um, aspect of of the way we're using the web. And we'd like to be able to turn off JavaScript, but uh, you know I'm running into more and more sites that you know over time. This is you know we we would expect this over time. Sites are becoming increasingly dependent upon scripting. They're wanting to run code in your browser to offer you the more, you know, the web whatever version we're on now. <laughs> I think I heard Andy say it's 49.2 or something, you know, web 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 version whatever in order to give us the features that, that we want. So, so less and less running with no scripting enabled at all uh, is becoming infeasible. Um, okay. My huge, heartfelt. <laughs> Waiting for what this is. This is good. This is something going on here deep. Thank you. Thank you to all Android users oh, everywhere. Yeah. You mentioned this. Now I'm worried. Because when I posted over the weekend yeah. that my life had been changed by the ability to install third-party keyboards, <laughs> I got tweets back saying, welcome to 2010. Yeah, yeah. That's, this, is the, this is the new Gibson. meme from Android folks, yeah. yeah. Gibson, it's like, where have you yeah, been? Yeah. Where are they, you know? Yeah. Ooh, predictive w- text, w- are you excited? W- are you excited? <laughs> okay, we, so we Leo. We had that on uh, BlackBerry, I think. <laughs> um, 
I can't. I, I, I've 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 ended up settling for swipe. Oh, really? Okay. But, yeah. Um, you know, you can swipe on SwiftKey. Oh, I know. Um, but but swipe does a few things that I like better. Um, if I if I swipe a word and it's wrong, yeah. Backspace removes the entire word. That's nice. Yeah, that doesn't happen on Swift. Okay, key. okay. Uh, so you're so you're in care. So no, that's normally yeah. that th- that's a better thing. Yeah. Also, there's a although there's a more a bit of a learning curve associated with this. Uh, when you when iOS first came out came out, you and I were talking about how you could hold a key and then you'd get a little sub menu that would pop up, or you, you you could just you know like stroke upwards from the like the comma or something, and you would get a double quote. Um, I like those power features. For under swipe, the entire shifted keyboard is always there without shift if you just hold. So, for example, I now know that G is open parens and H is closed parens. And, and, and so, to me, that's valuable. I, I had, did have to learn it. But now I can, because I like to, you know, parenthesize things. That's nice. You iPhone users are so cute. And, okay. By the way, no, that's a huge feature. SwiftKey does that as well. But that's a huge feature. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Also, Z. uh, For numbers and all punctuation. And Z, swiping Z down to the space bar gives you a quick exclamation point. Swiping M, I think it is, or L down gives you a question mark. Anyway, the point is. Oh my goodness! And I've given it some words. I was just chuckling because I'm having to go like back and forth across the keyboard, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, like you know, Buster Fredonically or something. Oh yeah, like some oh yeah, crazy word. And it says, "Yeah, there you go." And it's like, "Oh my god!" Anyway, I'm having dinner with with, with Jen, um, and I'm going to ch- change her life too because she did upgrade to eight, but I haven't not had a chance to sit down with her and show her this. Uh, and 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 my best friend Mark's going to join us and. This, I mean, oh my God! I mean, well, and, and you know, I'm, I c- cannot stand that old keyboard on iOS. Oh, I've hated 3-8. it for years. Yeah, it was the worst thing. It I kind of bugs me because it still pops up whenever you enter a password, so you have to kind of go back and start using that keyboard. Which yeah, is and there's a couple problems under. Why. Tweetbot has a problem, I guess, with third-party keyboards. I don't think it's the keyboard; it's yeah. it's Tweetbot. So I can't use. Them, them yet, but I'm, but these things will get fixed. Couple of but points, I just why I wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Couple of wow. points. First of all, press and hold backspace will delete a full word back on SwiftKey, so it does have that capability. Ah, okay, good. You just have to hold it for a little longer, mm. and then and when we we should mention SwiftKey is free, but swipe is right. Either cents. one or two. Okay, ninety nine cents. cents. Yeah. Uh, the other the other point. Well, it's a question because of course the first thing that happens when you install a third-party keyboard as Apple puts a very long, very scary warning. That keyboard is capturing all your keystrokes and sending it back. We don't know what they're doing with it. Android, to it, to, to Google's credit, does the same kind of warning, but it seems to scare people. So you don't worry about that? Okay, so um, uh, SwiftKey does that. Swipe doesn't. Now, okay, also I should mention that Swipe runs on the iPads, SwiftKey doesn't. So, well, so SwiftKey runs on an iPad, but it doesn't do flow. 
Doesn't do yes, that. Yes, uh, sorry. C- correct. It, do, yeah. it, do, it doesn't do flow. They, they claim that they don't have sufficient memory. That is, that the memory allocation oh, that, ap- that, the, uh, that the pads give them isn't enough to allow them to do flow. Right. And flow is the only thing I want. Oh, my God. Oh, I agree. Now, it's much and, faster and, than typing. Yes, Tap, and tapping. I saw you mention, Leo, um, that you you like swipe you you like flow down to the space bar yeah. and like as if you're doing multiple words in a single swipe, which I'm not. I'm I'm lifting my finger at the end of a word. No, which, I am too. Which, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I am too. Yeah. Then I just misunderstood. Yeah. Um. So okay. So I really like the idea. Of networking because I'm a multi de- multi device person. I've got a pad next to me. There's one that lives in the car. I've got my new big megaphone, um, and you know. So the idea that SwiftKey would be cloud syncing the things it's learning about me um, on these different devices was that's a convenience. Uh, however, I received a ton of tweets over the weekend from people saying, well, yeah, but SwiftKey, because I first tweeted about SwiftKey saying, oh, my God. And then the more I looked at it, I thought, yeah, I think I just sort of do like swipe better. Well, for one thing, I really like being able to do the flow over on the pads, and I'm still a pad user. Although flow on a big keyboard isn't really, it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of movement. Although I guess your fingers are still moving when you're tapping on a big keyboard. But anyway, I just wanted to say thank you to Android users. Um, if you're the reason, you can also thank apps... Android users for these big phones too. I mean, I don't oh, think Apple fact, would have done a five and a half inch phone if it weren't for all the. I, I want. I wanted to mention the funniest re- reaction that I was noting on, of myself is when because I got the the white bezel uh, gold tone champagne, whatever the hell they call that. You know, iPhone. I just it's the first one I've ever got. This isn't black, but I thought, yeah, what the hell? It looks pretty and. Um, Every time my eye fell on it, I thought Samsung. I mean, it yeah, just, the white one looks like a, a, a Samsung. It, it does. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. it's. I mean, it really and does. I'm so after years of these big white Samsung phones, that's what I think I own. <laughs> I look at it, go, that's uh, okay. That's a Samsung. Yeah, I guess I, I went Samsung, it. and I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think. Uh, those were the two issues I had with iPhone were the screen size and the and the third and the keyboard and uh, oh yes and I now look at my 5s and I think it's dinky. how did I how did I ever <laughs> no no wonder I never actually used it yeah, um, yeah. I, I had to give you a sense lifetime talk on my iPhone 5 which I happened to see as I was decommissioning it was three minutes what I've I've never, I've never had minutes? a conversation. I've never spoken on my iPhone five except like <laughs> you have t- no one to call. Ag- Who are you going to call? Ag- I, I don't use it. Have you I started using stand- uh, in? Uh, we are not going to turn this in the iPhone show, but have you started using <laughs> in messages the audio? Um, I see that I have because Jenny uses an iPhone. It needs to be to other iPhone users. Yes, she does. Uh, yeah. Oh, so- and that's the other thing, you know, in the whole iPhone versus Android, because I've been listening to you to, uh, over for the last week. I wanted to mention that it is also a function of ecosystem. I don't know a single Android phone user. 
my entire well, family, you know all my friends. Yeah, but, but I mean, like the people I'm like right. in total constant right. texting mode with. Right. And and we have like iMessage groups. But in that so case, I, so like that's a, group a very compelling reason to use the iPhone because, for I, instance, iPhoning to my daughter, uh, half the time I don't text her. I just give her an audio thing. Same thing to Lisa. She's an iPhone user. And it, it, that really is compelling. You can send pictures very easily the same way. Hold the picture thing down it'll snap a picture and then slide up it'll send it yeah and i do agree with you that double touch nonsense about sliding the screen down i just think that's like somebody said hey you know we can sense when you tap the yeah. touch id without pressing the button so let's do something with what that. can what can we do yeah. exactly let, let let's make that something it's like oh okay. some people love that <laughs> Something, I realize I also, why I don't care about it is because Android phones have these menu keys at the bottom. And so most of the stuff that I want to do is within reach of my thumb at all times on an Android yeah. phone. I realize, so maybe I'm not being fair to the people who use iPhones who are really thrown by this <laughs> mega screen. You call it your megaphone. I like it. Yeah, the megaphone. <laughs> I, I, I also feel like they're like they're halfway there on the screen rotation. Boy, is it, is it buggy in some places. Yeah. And like Anna just doesn't work. And like it's like, okay, if you're, you're, you either do it or don't. But don't like choose not to do it when right. maybe you ought to so it's like or i just think i think it's a little it's showing oh and and in general i should just say that the the feeling i've had in listening to you talking about this is um or in some cases ranting as you were at various points over the weekend um that i've been, I've been in I was, rant mode for was, a whole week I, and i was i was in agreement in some cases it feels to me like apple is struggling with their with their the the phone's identity it began as a as a beautiful closed system a very simple like duh use it apps where there was nothing hidden i mean there was like it was they were all of them beautifully crafted very simple but they they are trying to like power this thing up into a pocket computer and things now we're getting inter app communication and you know we've we, we've had thank goodness cut you know cop cut copy and paste functionality to move to transport information back and forth but i mean it's it's the, the the problem i think we're having now is that their interface is beginning to collapse they the 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 super simple ui is struggling under the de, uh, under the demands of a much more sophisticated device that you know really wants m like multiple choice drop down menus and a more classic de desktop UI yet we're not getting them we're instead we're just kind of getting you know f funky operation yeah i i haven't decided but i think i'm going to stick with android i'm waiting to get my cognac leather backed x We'll see. And, and I'll just say again, I agree with you that I think the watch is a fiasco. I think it's, I'll be interested it's, to see what happens there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially at the price that I've heard people guessing six thousand. Oh, and I, did, <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I wanted to mention when Dvorak talked about melting it down that the gold is not worth nearly no. what the watch retail price will well, be. So I don't know how many ounces of gold you think it is. Four. 
that would be what twelve twenty four hundred bucks. I don't know. I guess I guess the price of gold has gone up. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. I bought I bought a bunch when it was four hundred dollars an ounce. So well, hold that gold. Is it in your backyard <laughs> in a hole? <laughs> I can't remember what it is an ounce now, but it's quite expensive. Yeah, it's kind of crept up. Yeah. Uh, I, I I got a great little note. I just wanted to share uh, that, that actually follows up on a, a question. That I guess we answered. It was Martin who wrote from Frankfurt, Germany. I ran across this uh, on uh, he, he sent it on September. Where are we? Twelve hundred dollars an ounce. Okay, cool. So yeah, if there's four ounces in there, you're going to have to charge six thousand dollars. <laughs> Boy, yeah. But it's not. Ow. It's not. 24 karat gold it's 18 karat gold and that's is that's is that harder or softer that, harder. That, that, harder. that's hard lower yes. the carrots the harder the gold right right so anyway uh martin says level two look but don't touch actually does save the day he said hello steve thanks for answering my question about how spin on level two actually fixes things on one of the last shows only a few days later, I was witness to it actually fixing a huge problem using level two. A friend's work PC refused to boot, and his company's IT department gave up on it without being able to recover any, Martin has in all caps, of his valuable data. Of course, the backup had silently failed without him or anyone else noticing and his data was gone. So we gave Spinrite a try on level two, and it slowed down and started working a lot harder about a quarter of the way in, seemingly not moving any further. So my friend lost patience and turned the machine off. I told him not to give up and just let Spinrite run for however long it takes. Well, after about eight hours of chewing on the drive, it was finished the PC booted again with complete data recovery. Hooray for Spinrite. Now I am his hero, but actually you are. Thank you very much on behalf of my friend who got all of his data back, thanks to Spinrite, Martin. And I'll just say, you know, I don't have a problem. Although this is technically not how we license Spinrite, our listeners know that if, if someone is in... Uh, trouble like this, I don't have a problem uh, with a friend helping a friend. And, uh, you know, this friend now knows about Spinrite. So he may spread the word or, or grab a copy for himself. So uh, thanks for sharing, Martin. You're very generous and genial. The genial Steve Gibson. We've got questions for you, Steve, and I know you've got answers. And we're going to get to those in just a moment. But first, a word for those of you looking for help. Help! If you're uh, posting, if you're in the HR department or you're a sole business owner like I am and you need to hire people, it's probably a little daunting. There are there are so many job boards out there, more than 50. Where do you post? Each board has its own advantages and disadvantages and kind of clientele. What about ZipRecruiter.com? It'll let you post uh, once and it'll get that post on 50 plus job boards. Plus social networks like Craigslist, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. One click of the mouse at ZipRecruiter.com. And now you're going to see, everybody's going to see your post. And then ZipRecruiter will help you screen those candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. 
ZipRecruiter helps you find candidates in any city, any industry, nationwide. You post once and watch the qualified candidates roll into their easy-to-use interface. ZipRecruiter. We used it, and it was I, we, I was blown away. Blown away at how easy and fast it is. They help you create a jobs page for your site, a careers page, too, with your branding, your logos. Uh, it's really nicely done. Here's what you do. Try it free for four days, and then you tell me. ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. Post that job. Hire the right candidate fast, easy, and affordably. Well, free for the first four days. ZipRecruiter.com slash security now. Steve, I have questions. We got some great uh, talking points and questions and feedback from our listeners. So... That's that's I, I'm glad we do this. Ninety seven times. I I am too. Actually, it's uh, it's become kind of an important part of the show overall, is to give people a chance to uh, get clarification and get ideas from you. And there's some pithy stuff every so often. There, there, there we have one great <laughs> one great note. As, as you say, we're never going to be finished talking about the stringing Ethernet across a great distance. <laughs> oh no, no more. All of us have just been put in our place. Oh, probably by somebody smarter than Nietzsche. Uh, Matthew Urch kicks us off, though. Matthew, uh, pronounced like church, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He found us four weeks ago. Hey, Steve, I found the podcast a month or so ago, and I've been working to get caught up on all the years of great content I've missed between uh, new episodes airing. He says he's listened to the first 93 so far. you got quite a way to go. Yeah. What is it, nine years of shows? Uh, However, whenever I hear a suggestion of yours and or Leo's, uh, since the suggestion took place in some cases the better part of a decade ago, I always wonder what the current state of those suggestions are. Cario Firewall, remember that? The Astaro Gateway. Blink from EI, remember that? Uh, really, uh, just an update on items that you've thoroughly discussed or suggested numerous times in the past. reason I ask, I recently listened... To the Blink from EI episode, when I looked it up, the company has been acquired, the product has been rebranded, and the only option is requesting a quote. I don't even know if it's still the same product. Anyway, thanks for the great content. I look forward to getting stuck in traffic so I can listen to more security now. And by the way, I'm planning on buying Spinrite very soon. That is so, one, of the, one of the flaws of being such a long-time successful show. Yeah, I, I guess, I wouldn't call it a flaw. I would say that um, it's it's a consequence of the fact that the show really is two things. It is clearly we care about the news of the day. Us, you know, talking about, I mean, it's just interesting talking about Google's decision to force uh, the change in certificate signature technology. That's like, yeah. yeah. that's really interesting. How can mm-hmm. we not talk about that now? A decade from now, that'll be of historical interest, but clearly not as useful. On the other hand, you know, the fundamentals of the way the Internet works, which we've done a series on, or the way the the fundamentals of computing technology, which Matthew will be getting to here probably uh, pretty soon. Those are almost timeless. So, so. you know, we have a mix of things. Now, if we didn't archive them, then then we'd we'd purely be, you know, broadcasting into the ether and it'd be a, you know, you'd get the ones you could and and have no access to the past. I think 
that's really super useful. But in no, in, I'm I'm sorry, Matthew, and anybody else. It just it doesn't make sense for us to to add to the burden we're already carrying of like, oh, and here's where we stand with the carryo firewall and blink from EI. I mean, we, we can't, you know, we're, we're making the archive episodes available as because certainly for some purposes, they're valuable, but not for, you know, here's our favorite, you know, Twitch uh, from 10 years ago. That's just, just that there is information that is going to age and decay and no longer be useful mixed in with this stuff that's timeless. Look, somebody in the chat room pointed out, National Geographic continues to publish magazines, and you may have a stack of them, but the fact that you've gone back to 1963 to read that article doesn't put a burden on National Geographic to correct it. It's, ah. it's, 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 it's frozen in amber. Been published. Been published, done with that. So what I encourage you to do, and I'm sure you're doing this, is listen to the current episodes. If you want to listen to the past ones, that's great. And just, uh, But recommendations for current products from old episodes, uh, they're, they're meaningless. You know, they don't... No, and it is true, though, that we're building on knowledge. And so... The, so oh, yes, I, it's don't good to, to listen to the old ones. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to discourage anybody from, from filling up their, right. their new, you know, multi-gig pocket device uh, with this stuff because there, there is plenty there. It is called security now. Yeah. Now. Robert Osorio in Lady Lake, Florida. Brings back the bouncing battery mystery. Stephen Leo, the answer to why a dead battery bounces is from cannotunsee.net. Why a dead battery will bounce and a new one does not. So um, there's a video link in the show notes. Uh, I don't know if it's worth going through it. It's actually pretty long, Leo. But I'll, I'll summarize it as follows. Uh, and remember that we, I think we talked about this on the podcast. This sort of hit the 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 meme of the day a few months ago where bizarrely enough it was found that a dead battery uh bounces actively and a live battery with still juice in it to give just thuds and it i mean it was it was just a great internet meme that that occurred and so these guys do a series of experiments. And they actually where built they a device so that they would have yes. the same the same trajectory each time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, oh, and, look at it does. It's through. true. You really see it. Yeah, this is like a ping and, pong and, ball. And now charge up. Blunk. Yeah. No, that's true. Well, there we go. That's proof positive. It, it does it. So, so why does it do it? It turns out that a used up battery is. Oh, and then they have theories about gassing. Or I don't remember what they call the other one. Apparently, there's something called a recoilless hammer. Never knew about that. Oh but yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You can get a hammer that's got like BBs in it, right? And when you when you it hit thuds. something with it, yeah. You know. Anyway, so the point is that, and this is the way I I can I would normally never be able to remember which bounced and which didn't. Is it the charge battery that bounces or the discharge battery that bounces? Now I have a way of never knowing, because what happens is the electrolyte is completely dried out in a used-up battery. Uh, it is not gooey at all. It is dry. And so it acts as a solid 
um, as, as as a oh, and so here they're doing outgassing. They're dropping something on the battery to see if it's springy or not. So they're they're dropping a slug. Oh Lord, they really did this seriously. That's amazing. They care so a lot. The point about is it. that a battery filled with wet goo doesn't bounce. It thuds. Because the the properties of the goo essentially absorb the battery's yeah, kinetic sense. energy, yeah. whereas the dry battery bounces like a bunny rabbit. So now we know. Thank you, Robert, for and and they and in in this video that I linked to, they get around to sawing the batteries open and like sticking out some like you know like sticking stuff in and stirring it around and you see that the one that is that just thuds that's got charge left in it is just a gooey mess inside whereas whereas the dead one oh my goodness it looks like a dry creek bed so huh. uh complete difference cannot unsee dot net and that's actually a great site they got a lot of interesting stuff on there it's a tumble yeah, it's, it's, it's like something like old guys re- retired well, engineers or something having some dinner sort of, or something they have some sort of ad for romeo Retired old men eating out. That's it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Is it a group? I don't know what it is. But maybe you and I should join. Melissa Good in Miami, Florida, teaches old engineers something about Ethernet. Steve, one reason why fiber should be used between two houses 400 feet apart is because Ethernet over twisted pairs limit is 328 feet or 100 meters. <laughs> I'll leave the whole issue of power and balance alone. Love the podcast. Never miss it, Melissa. Uh, okay, I just loved okay, it. Okay, it just okay. sort of just ended the debate. Corrected. Yes, yes. Should two houses 400 feet away be connected by Ethernet? Uh, probably not because it's a 100-meter limit, which is 328 feet, and that's more than 400. So... There's the answer to our question. Doesn't matter about balanced balanced loads and current loops and shielded wires and all this mumbo jumbo. Nope, it's just too far away. <laughs> you may also remember we talked a little bit about two-factor authentication at gas pumps using zip codes, and yep. and of course we said that's not going to work in Canada. Well, Fez Imam in Montreal solves the mystery of the Canadian gas pump zip code authentication mastercard is aware of the issue of gas pump authentication he writes and has an ingenious workaround that maintains the spirit of the zip code it's really quite simple you take your canadian postal code for example j3n4n5 just keep the numbers three four and five then add two zeros at the end three four five zero zero enter that into the gas pump and it will be accepted this is not a trick it's official MasterCard policy, and he quotes MasterCard.ca. This way you still need info only you know, and apparently MasterCard, but it fits within the U.S. standard. Users of Visa and other cards will be out of luck. Just an FYI for Canadian MasterCard users. I don't know how they publicize that. but Yeah, it's interesting, but we have. It's cool. Now you know. Yeah. Now we know Canada, and there was a and just just for the record, there was a ton of feedback from our very correct and security conscious listeners who are noting that well you know you probably could guess a zip code because after all it's not a random five numbers it's tied to your geography and they probably have some idea blah 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 so it's like okay or you could certainly guess the first several digits because as we know the zip code is actually sequential based on physical location and like you know not you know i'm in a 926 area and so you know i think it's better than nothing 
It's absolutely better than nothing. I so I'm I'm happy pretty, I'm being asked. Pretty low standard, but it, but it is our yeah. standard. It does not meet our our crypto <laughs> high entropy right. standard. Right. But but then anything that did, nobody could remember. And the <laughs> and the beauty is pretty much you know what your zip code is. Right. Just it's just not you know random five digits, and that means that other people could have an idea too. So I I, I wanted to just acknowledge all the people who said ah, it's really not that good. It's like well, it's better than nothing. Uh, Eric follows up with a final thought about his new installation of Windows XP on a virtual machine. Steve, thanks for answering my question about the need to install updates into a new VM-isolated Windows XP instance. You said you should. Yep. One additional note, I realize uh, I did need to go online anyway, at least briefly, to authenticate Windows. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, yep. So even if I have to just do it once, I'll be doing the Windows update. Thanks, Eric. Yep. That's a good point. I, just, I thought that was a good point because yeah. we we, we, I, I was saying... Oh my God! You know you, what? What the one thing you do know about a a virgin installation of XP is that every worm written in the last decade or even more uh, was targeted is targeting that that OS, and so absolutely bring it current. And uh, and so then it was like, yeah, but if there's absolutely really no internet connection, then you really don't have to, right? I mean, it's not going to just decay by itself. No. But as he noted, I mean, like, I'm sure he did this. And then it, Windows was saying, I'm, I haven't been authenticated. He's like, oh, crap. I do have to give it an internet connection in order to get it, you know, in order to get yeah. Microsoft to yeah. bless it. So right. no, if, I, if I'm doing that, I might as well update it. So, yeah. Question six. Oh, and, and oh, um, during, during one of your away missions uh, uh, with Father Robert, I noted that my little – postage weighing way scale system didn't seem to be receiving xp updates even though i did the the cute little i'm a xp embedded hack to the registry i did want to follow up and say it definitely is it's i turned it on the other day and oh look it's got a bunch of updates to receive so it might have just taken a while to get synchronized and caught up or who knows oh, what good. but uh so that that hack is keeping xp updated uh, and has not been shut down yet. So it's not like XP actually died for anybody who cares. Actually, I think that makes sense that Microsoft, who surely knows about it by now, just says, well, well yeah. you know, if somebody's going to do that, we'll, <laughs> we won't get in their way. Yeah. Kirill in State College, PA, notes that having nothing to hide is not the point. As a regular Security Now listener since 2008, I thank you for what you're doing to enlighten your listeners and viewers. But lately, I cringe... Every time I hear you or Leo say that it's fine for lots of stuff to be unencrypted because the information in question is not sensitive. Certainly one purpose of encrypting information is to protect the information from unwanted disclosure, but the other is to maintain privacy as a general principle. By taking that approach, if it's not sensitive, it doesn't need to be hidden. Well, then you miss the latter aspect. If 99% of your communications are in the clear and suddenly you use Tor or PGP for something, you might as well be waving a big red flag that says... Pay attention to what I'm doing. This is important, and I want to keep it secret. The point of routinely encrypting everything is to make it impossible for our NSA overlords to distinguish between someone actively trying to preserve his or her privacy, thus potentially singling that person out for closer surveillance, and everyone just going about their routine business. So, so this really is the this is the, this is the question that I was referring to earlier, where I agree that in general it makes sense for us to be increasing our use of security. 
Um, we clearly see that we're moving in that direction with more and more sites um, implementing HTTPS. I think that he was responding, though, when, when, when he said, you know, every time I hear you and Leo saying sensitive stuff doesn't be encrypted. For example, I, I probably he was referring to our conversation about email. And that's sort of a special case, be only because it is really difficult, unfortunately, to encrypt email. That's been one of the things we've been talking about here over the last few months with with PGP and Gmail and Yahoo's announcements that they're going to start focusing on this more. It's just it's just that that our clients and and email itself, uh, unlike web serving or web surfing and and web browsing. There, the protocol that Net, that Netscape introduced with SSL 1.0, the, the, the messiness is completely encapsulated in the connection. And we do have that with email to some degree. The, unfortunately, it's only the connection that is that is optionally encrypted, not the the envelope that we're mailing in. So so part of Part of our conversation about this w- that we just had a week or two ago was that, you know, with email, eh, we're probably just going to have to kind of give up on that one uh, and use messaging or any of the of the forthcoming communication systems, which will have been designed cryptographically strong from the start. And just sort of let email be like, eh, well, fine. You know, as everyone knows it's in the open, so don't say anything important there. But I, I, I certainly also agree with his notion that every internet, all the packets on the internet should look like random nonsense. You should not be able to put a packet sniffer on the net, which we know PRISM was. PRISM was the NSA's suck it all in and you know, do keyword searches and and so forth on all this wealth of unencrypted data. It, it's easy enough for us to to wrap that in encryption that we probably should just to, not not to thwart the NSA because I don't really think we can, uh, but just because it's te- once the technology has been put in place, then we get encryption for free, the way we have it now with using HTTPS. It's essentially for free. Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to say the same thing. That everybody should use PGP because then no one will stand out when they do use PGP. A um, couple of points to make, though. First, that implies that somehow um, if you use PGP, the feds will be able to crack it. And if it's strong encryption, it doesn't matter whether it stands out or not. If you trust the encryption, you trust the encryption. Good point. Uh, certainly enough traffic is encrypted that the feds are still going to have a challenge. They're not going to have a super quantum computer and I have to only focus on one email. The second issue, um, you, well, you raised the issue, that the difficulty involved, uh, not just uh, on everything, even HTTPS server, um, means that it's not necessarily practicable to, to encrypt everything. And right. we do know, by the way, that the uh, feds decided to, that anything that, is in, used, that uses Tor or PGP is by default suspect and included in their databases. So, I mean, he has a point there, but it's not like being in their databases means that suddenly they can read it. They still have to crack it. Right. Um, So I think it's sufficient to occasionally use it, would be my point. You don't have to use it 100% of the time, 
But if everybody used it a third of the time, see, it's hard for people, as you point out, I have to get your key to send you an encrypted thing. I'm not, every email I send out is not going to be encrypted. It never will be because right. I'd have to get everybody's keys ahead of time. But if you encrypt right. a third of it, I think that's sufficient to bug the feds. And to, and to mean that they're, you know, that they, they cannot focus on any particular thing. Yeah. For, for me, for example, my use of encryption is with Jungle Disk to encrypt everything that goes out of here for archival. You know, so I so I have off-site archiving. I will absolutely, I wouldn't consider not encrypting it myself before it goes. So there's nothing there. I mean, it's, you know, it's it, it's our corporate information. It's my, all of the work I do, all my source code and everything. Um, there, there's trade secret stuff in there. It's like Spinrite and everything. So I absolutely don't want that to fall into someone else, in, in basically into anyone bad guy's hands. I really wouldn't mind the government having it. I assume that they wouldn't do anything wrong with it. It's just, it's, you know, it's for pure business-related intellectual property privacy. That's yeah. my use of encryption. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I think it's, a, you're right, it's a flag, but is it? And, I, and, you know, and our story we talked about last week about the crazy, I, I, the guy's name was Jeremy, the agent at um, Comcast who was, you know, basically trying to hold people out as being exceptions for using Tor. This sort of plays into that too. Uh, right at the moment, someone using Tor does seem more suspicious. Right. It's like, well, what are the what are they trying to hide? Right. Is it's you so know, if we, sort and, of and it his, begs the question. Yeah, and and Fez's point, and well taken, is that if everybody used Tor, then nobody would. But it's just not practicable. No. So use it as much as you can. Encrypt as much really, as you can. It's, it's really slow. Right. <laughs> and I do. And you know, I have many correspondents who routinely use encryption with me, uh, and we uh, we and I encrypt back, and we do that because. There's it's nothing sort of in there, bit but of a, it's just, well, yeah. yeah, it just adds to the noise. Yeah, fill your drives with this, you feds. I think that's sufficient. Yeah. Everybody should have, uh, you know, some sort of S-MIME or PGP encryption installed and use it when you've got somebody's keys, and that's enough. Yeah, well, and right now, we, you and I have encrypted packets moving over the Internet, streaming back and forth with audio and video. Do right. we think it is impossible to crack? No. But if, if, you know, it's certainly not in, in, in plain text, and I assume somewhere there's a hard drive sucking it in in case it's ever useful for something. It's like, well, knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> you could also get it unencrypted on YouTube and on GRC.com yeah, yeah. and on Twit.tv. Won't you be surprised so, when you find that out? <laughs> yeah. And it has the benefit of having been edited a little bit, too. Yeah, so cleaner. Yes, absolutely. Spiros in upstate New York shares his theory on... This HTTPS upranking Google's doing over the past few weeks, I've listened to your discussion as to why Google might be upranking sites that offer secure HTTP and whether this is a good idea. The theory I have is Google's attempting to increase the amount of encrypted traffic flowing over the net. To what end? Well, with all the fear of being watched, it would seem an abundance of encrypted data would make the snoopers' job harder. Same point as Fez. It's yep. just a theory, but I hadn't heard it brought up, so I thought I'd mention it. Keep up the great work. Yep, and this plays into the same thing. I think I actually would argue that to the degree that Google's uh, ranking algorithm, and I and I watched you and Jeff and Gina have an interesting talk about this last week, is like, wow, what do you think that algorithm looks like? Yeah, probably won't fit on the back of a napkin anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so 
it's a a a multi certainly their ranking arch, the architecture is incre- is very sophisticated it's 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 been the complexity has been increased both to improve the quality and also to thwart abuse because you know we know that the SEO there was a big flurry for a while back in the early days where it became you know the idea of spoofing the search engine's ranking was a big deal and people would do things like fill pages that the user couldn't see with keywords that the search engine would see and if the search engine wasn't differentiating between what the user could see and not see that opened them up to abuse so so my point is that I think as one's additional signal, not heavily weighted, but just an additional signal, sites and, and understand we're talking about a, a mathematical algorithm that is not sentient. It is a spider sucking in web pages. Uh, I mean, an unbelievable number of web pages. It's and its goal is to offer users the the absolute best links it can. So it needs to use any signals that it can find from the noise. I think a useful signal, again, not one or zero, but, you know, some fraction of a percent of merit is whether this site supports HTTPS to because again, in general, the, although I don't like the notion of like, you know, non-commercial sites being dinged as a consequence, but sites that use HTTPS, again, when you're a blind spider, that's probably a useful signal. So, so I, I do think Google is encouraging the use of security. We know they are. We, we, we talk about it all the time. Google is pushing for a secure internet. Yay. Um, but I also think it's useful for search ranking as a as one of many signals going into the algorithm. Just See, That's a good point. Is that it, that's a site then that's not a fly-by-night site. It's not, you know, it's, it's a serious site that paid, an, paid there, money to get a, a certain. Actually, that's a very yes. good point. It's more than just security. It is a good signal. Yes, by itself. I think it, de- it demonstrates an investment has yeah. been made by the, by the people. We they know, care for instance, of- they use as a signal how long your domain registration is. If it's a one-year or shorter registration, uh, you're ranked yes. lower than if it's three years. If it's three years, you're yes. here. You mean to be here. You spent more money on it. It's less likely a spam site. A, a certificate would be very similar to that. So maybe yep. it, 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 you know, they, they couched it in the security terms, but I think there is actual value in it over yeah. and above that. Yeah, you make a good point. Uh, here, so does Mike in Florida. He asks a question Steve has never heard before. Ha ha. <laughs> when you do a full, not a quick, but a full format of a hard drive, Steve, does it repair the disk? In other words, if I'm getting disk errors, uh, can I just format it, full format? And oddly enough, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that. No, you're not um, being sarcastic. No, I'm not. Oh, um, I thought the, that would be I, the first thing people would ask you. I I I talked recently about how nobody anymore f- actually does no, a format takes, of a drive because drives are too big. It takes forever. Yeah, it's just not yeah. practical. Yeah, and and what it's doing is when you do a so-called long format, and that's that <laughs> the word is now you know an understatement to the extreme. 
is in the old days, it was going out. I mean, and there was no such thing as a quick or a short format. You, format was format. You would, That's the first thing you would do on your 30 megabyte, <laughs> uh, you know, ST238 RLL drive that had 23 sectors per track. Uh, I should remember how many you cylinders. You know all but of this, don't you? When, is it one? Yeah. So, 1024, uh, right? No. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, you could push it to a little further. I think it was uh, 1050, actually. Ah. You could go a little further. There was some unused space at the end ah. that they just sort of left, and, and you, could, uh, you could actually put data out there. So um, what it was doing is it was looking at the sector headers. So it was looking at the looking for so-called bad sectors that had been factory marked as this sector contains a defect, do not use it. It would then look, typically sectors that were half a K, they were 512-byte sectors, it would use 4K sectors, so it would use use eight of those those half a K sectors, those 512-byte sectors, to create a cluster. So any cluster in the directory, in, in the file system, that contained even one, bad marked sector the whole cluster would be marked as unallocatable or you know bad in the file allocation table in the directory so that's what that all was um that process doesn't fix anything unless the sector is 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 repairable has like an ecc soft error and reading the sector might cause the drive to say, oh, I didn't realize there was a defect that I need to get sort of, sort of thinking about here. I'm going re- to spare that out and swap in a good sector. So it, it certainly doesn't do data recovery. It, it is, it's not a bad thing to do unless, you know, you value the length of time you have left to be alive because it's going to take forever. To format that thing, it's really slow. <laughs> How long does it take for like a three, two terabyte drive? I mean, oh, days, days, what days? Days, oh. days. Oh well, then nobody's going to do it. No, and, is, and, is and the answer is yeah. moot because who's who's and, got, you know that's crazy. And, and and what we what we've done is we've just gone to a to an assume the drive is good and right. we'll deal with problems if we you know if as we encounter you know, as we encounter them right. and nobody was marking those bad those sectors bad anyway and when we switched to the new IDE drives which have intelligence in the drive they're supposed to handle that so the drive it never has any bad sectors if it did it would have swapped them out for spares so that, that that's really the theory under which there are no bad, more bad sectors as drives are smart now we got more questions for you, Steve, in just a little bit. But first, a word from our friends, and I mean it, Tim and Don, are our friends at IT Pro TV. It's kind of a neat story. Tim and Don were trainers. They taught people how to get, you know, those critical certs uh, in IT, people who uh, either were already in IT and wanted to polish their skills or people who wanted to get into the IT business. I know a lot of you listen to our shows because you want to become IT professionals. They were doing it the, the traditional way with classroom uh, learning and so forth. And they said, wait a minute. Look what Leo uh, is doing with Twit. What, what if we did that for training people in IT? And that's when IT Pro TV was born. 
And frankly, they have an amazing solution. With 30 hours of live content every week, so you can watch the live stream. Um, you can also chat with them just as you can uh, with us during, the ch- during it. So you can ask your questions and your comments. The schedule is published right there on the website. 30 new hours, of course, where every week, covering everything. Go to visit itpro.tv and look at the course library, and you'll get a sense of all of the things. They do have free content, including a guided tour and sample episodes, so you get an idea of what their programming is like. It's really well done. It's fun. It's engaging. You learn without even knowing it. It's just great. And now they have Apple stuff. They have CompTIA, of course, the A+, Net+, and Security+, Plus uh, certs. The Microsoft certs are all there as well. Cisco, uh, they're adding, uh, they've just started uh, the uh, new ISC squared stuff, which is a great security cert. And they have a really good trainer for the uh, security stuff. Um, they've really done a, uh, yeah, it's just, it gets, it, they're growing fast. They kind of started with us early on and they have just grown like, well, because they're doing a great thing. But they have office certs, VMware, Citrix, Microsoft Hyper V. This is really a great solution. When you get your um, when you get your uh, subscription to IT Pro TV, you also get some very useful additional things like the Measure Up practice exams, worth seventy nine dollars, free, included in the in the program. Uh, you also get a virtual machine sandbox lab, so you can you don't have to have a Windows machine and Windows server and Windows client to to practice. You can you can't do any harm if you've got an HTML five browser. You can literally be. I mean, you'll be using a Windows server and windows clients to to do this really fantastic and annual subscribers can download episodes and audio mp3s and listen and watch offline for your tablet for your computer and for roku too it's it pro tv normally 57 dollars a month 570 dollars a year but if you use our offer code sn30 you get 30% off your subscription for the lifetime of your account that's 40 dollars a month that's less than one book and, and look what you get, $399 for the whole year. ITPro.tv slash security now to find out more. Use the offer code SN30 to buy and get 30% off. ITPro.tv slash security now. What a great deal that is. More questions for you, Steve. Uh, question nine from Jeffrey Allentown, Pennsylvania. He uh, wants to share his experience with POS, which can mean two things. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. And maybe and in this the same context, thing, it really means both. It's the yeah. same thing in both. But I have personal experience working for a point of sale merchant services company. That's what POS stands for normally. I can explain why these point of sale computers are running unpatched Windows XP embedded point of sale ready. My company had issues where our software would break after applying a critical Windows update. This bug hugely annoyed the merchant because, of course, when the system's down, they can't make any sales. So for a period, the company enforced a policy of not letting any of our POS systems ever run Windows Update. I think this is true in many businesses for a lot of reasons. Windows Update can break things. Uh, In a mission-critical environment, that's not what you want. And this is a distressingly common policy, he adds. I strongly suspect that both Target and Home Depot had set up their OS images not to run updates. The common belief has been that simply disabling access to IE would be sufficient to keep them safe. Yeah, I thought that was neat feedback from the field. Um, nothing surprising, but of course, this uh, the Home Depot 
uh, recent escapade is being regarded as the largest, uh, most critical <laughs> breach mess. in history. Yeah, it is a huge mess. Yeah, and and apparently um, p- there are ex employees now, and we have to consider that they're ex, so they're no longer you know part of the faithful. But they have they've been providing information that Home Depot was fully aware of the security problems that their systems had, and essentially did nothing. I would say chose to do nothing, but you know they didn't chose to do anything. They didn't choose. Yeah, choose. They choose. They didn't choose to do anything, which is you know passively ch- choosing to do nothing. But uh, yeah, uh, and as you say, Leo. Well, th- th- this is the reason Microsoft went to the second Tuesday of the month. Remember that once upon a time before this, patches would just come out randomly at just arbitrary times and be like, "Oh, here's an update," which drove the IT people crazy. Because they had to do some planning. What they what we found is because patches would occasionally interact with specific software on corporate machines that these patches were killing things. And so IT said, please, 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 A, give us a schedule and so, so that we know when things are happening. We will set time and people, personnel, whatever is required, aside to vet these changes on our specific systems with our vertical applications, you know, whatever it is we're doing to make sure they don't break anything. And then, you know, let us redeploy those within our intranet. And of course, that's that's now the model that's being used. But for the problem is these embedded systems, they don't feel like they have a computer in them. They don't feel like they have Windows XP embedded. They feel like it's like, oh, so it's, it's a keypad and a mag stripe reader. What, well, how can that get in trouble? Well, we know how. Our last, <laughs> our very last question comes to us from Kevin in New York. He wonders about the long-term reliability of solid-state drives based on their error correction, ECC rate. I have an older model, SanDisk, 128-gig SSD. While I've not been too hard on it, 55 terabytes of writes, over the course of a little over two years. How, how would he know that? Is there something keeping track of that? Well, I bet he has something that's doing that. Yeah. Every once in a while, I run SpinRite on level two, largely to look at the error rate, and I have noticed some issues. It seems that over the past year, the ECC corrected rate has steadily increased from around 7,000. That's per minute? Per, um, per. It's, it's not clear. SpinRite has a total... And it also re- reports a ECC rate yes. in per megabyte. Per megabyte. Okay. Um, yeah, I've seen that. And yeah. this looks like that. Right. Yeah. Around 7,000 to close to 15,000. And a full erase before restoring data has no impact on the error rate. The SSD rates itself as having 95% life remaining. So it seems like that may be a bit inaccurate. Furthermore, with the increasing error rate as the drive is used... It makes me wonder how long this drive will last before data begins to become corrupted. So what are your thoughts, Steve, on the reliability of solid-state drives where over time, as they use them, the ECC has to work harder? We should say that ECC means you're not losing data, but does mean that there are failures, right? Yes. And, okay, so two things, or a couple things. The the neatest thing, uh, well, okay, one of the many neat things that SpinRight does uh, is... This note, this idea of capturing the smart data on the fly 
uh, which Spinrite processes to show you the rates at which things, the rates at which errors are happening. Nothing else does this. And it is such, it's really, it's like, it's underused intelligence, which um, happily Kevin is taking advantage of. The point is that the smart system doesn't really tell you anything unless it's under load. But nothing that puts it under load reads the smart system, except Spinrite. So he's able to say, and he has here, um, that, that he has seen an increase in the rate of, of corrections being required by this SSD. Now, the fact that he has done a, a full erase and restore and the rate didn't drop... That's and he understands that, and he's right. I doubt ninety-five percent life remaining is right. I would worry or wonder if it even had forty or fifty percent. Huh. I think this is a very. I think this is a danger sign. Now, the the better thing to do would be to have been monitoring this over time where it would have been, you know, 7,000, 7,000, 7,000, 7,000, 7,000, 15,000. That is, if you saw, if or, or you know, like, or uh, uh, probably 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 15. The point is, if you saw a knee in, in, a, in a curve of how much ECC is being required, that would be an indication that like something bad has happened or, you know, is like is it, it's it's a, a, a it's now aging at an accelerated pace because it's getting into trouble. But what but what this what the rate means is, is that if it if he hadn't erased it and restored it, that is, hadn't just recently rewritten all of, of these capacitors, remember that these are little floating capacitors they're little tiny bits of 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 conductive silicon which have a crowd of electrons sitting on them and they're they're going to be bleeding out bleeding off that charge is going to bleed at some rate very low so that typically you have re- retention times in 100 years or like of 100 years but if there are defects, the leakage can be higher. And, and the reason writing is fatiguing is that it is, it's poking holes in the insulation. It's in the so-called, it's a process is called tunneling in order to like force those electrons through this insulative barrier to strand them out on this little island. And that process fatigues the insulation and increases the leakage. Now, if he had only been doing read tests and saw the error rate increase, that could indicate that we're seeing bits are leaking that are requiring correction. Except this is freshly rewritten, and he's seeing a greater error rate. And that's what scares me. That's a great test he performed. And frankly, you know, I don't know in terms of 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 rights i mean he's what is it it's a 128 120 gig ssd 
upon which he's written 155 terabytes. So yeah, that's not, that's what, 60 writes of the whole drive? Yeah. It's my math. It's, it's something like that. So it's, it doesn't seem like many writes. I agree with him. But, um, boy, uh, do keep it backed up. I have to say that, first of all, it's an older drive, as he says, and I think that the drives are probably getting better. But also... Um, nice hat. Do you notice what it says? <laughs> I'll, no. I'll show you the hat in a second. But also uh, um, that I, just anecdotally, do not hear of a, of a more, of a higher failure rate on SSDs, and I use SSDs all the time. I agree. So, I agree. So... Um, you know, that's one drive. Maybe he's got a bad one. We don't know. Um, the question is, should we be concerned about longevity on SSDs in general? And I haven't seen ev any evidence to, su to suggest that. But maybe you have. No, there was, there was a meme that ran through the Internet in the last week, and I didn't pick up on it. I was busy working, and it kind of got past me. But it was something about the amount like data being written to ssds that was fatiguing them i i'm sure somebody knows about it probably simon zarafa our our buddy who's an amazing fount of of tweets i'm sure he he knows what it was in fact it may have been from him he's probably going to put it in my stream after the podcast and i'll pick up on it and check it out and i'll 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 add it to the notes for next week because there was yeah. something that went by that was some, i thought it was interesting but i just i was overloaded at the moment so i didn't add that to my pile right yeah, I mean, yeah, I just from my own experience and talking to people, yeah. I have not heard about any problems with SSDs. Yeah, I uh, agree. In fact, Although, it may well be they're we, we, more we, we, reliable than spinning drives in the long run. The good news is Spinrite recovers them. Yeah, so for right. whatever, for what it's worth, that's why there's plenty of life left in Spinrite. And uh, he didn't leave one for you, but I thought this was an appropriate hat to wear uh, nice. during the show. Nice. That uh, eagle you might recognize as the emblem of the National Security Agency. Nice. United States nice of America, established 1952, and apparently one of our listeners works for the NSA and dropped <laughs> it off. So I'll be wearing this around uh, as I travel around London. I don't think I'll have too much trouble, you think? No. No, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a hat that I was given by some FBI agents. And my one time I was out riding on the bike paths in Irvine, and some really rude people just like almost forced me off the path when I and when I was wearing my regular actually I think it might have been a spinrite hat or something else and I and I was really it was really just disrespectful they could have easily moved over and so I I just had this inspiration I was like oh, I'll wear my FBI hat <laughs> and what a change it made it's fantastic I mean I look like an agent and I'm all dressed in black People are not, you look like an FBI agent anyway I do. And so this hat, it cinches the deal. People, I mean, like, they, like, avert their gaze and move, and move off. In, in, they're now, they're in the weeds, and I'm in the middle yeah, of the sidewalk. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, Solve anyway, the problem. Thanks, Mark, for uh, leaving this hat for us. And he's off to run in the Big Sur Marathon, but he, he thought it'd be fun to leave this behind. By the way, cool. that eagle is holding key, a big key. wonder what that so, key unlocks. We don't have you next week, and um, the podcast is uh, Wednesday, right? Yeah, so here's, oh. yeah, this is the time to talk about all of this. Uh, I'm going to London on Sunday. I'll be back uh, pretty quickly the following uh, Sunday, so I'm not going to miss any twits. Um, but I will miss one security now, and Father Roberts. And you're wishing that you had made a longer 
re, re, a um, longer reservation. In I, I do. It's like, I absolutely yeah. do. But um, duty calls. So it's just it's, it's vacation, right? Yeah, it's a six-day vacation, basically. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Robert will be here. He does a great job. So, uh, you know, I appreciate that. And, uh, yes, you're going to be at a different time because Microsoft, I can't, it's hard to believe. Time is rushing by. When we started this show, uh, the current version of Windows was Windows XP. Uh, it is Windows 9, the next version and of I, Windows. And I, of course, was, I think I was no longer using NT, yeah. but I was probably using Windows 2000. 2000. You were using Windows yeah. 2000, yeah. yeah. So when the next version of Windows, Microsoft is going to review reveal technical information uh, on September 30th. That's normally our day. So what's going to happen is Paul and Mary Jo are going to be at that briefing. It's a small private briefing, but they're going to come right up afterwards and do a special Windows Weekly at this time. In this time In slot. In this time okay. slot. 1 p.m. Pacific, right. 4 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. And so that will be Windows Weekly. So we're going to put you in Windows Weekly's time slot the following Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time, 1800 UTC. Ah, okay. So it's not, I was told it was my old time slot. Oh, yeah, no, it is. Yeah. 11 o'clock on Wednesday. Yeah. So we moved me up to 11, but we dropped me back to Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Wednesday at 11. Just you, that's all you have to remember, Steve. <laughs> uh, okay. I will, will be, be here. here, right? Yeah, Robert will be here. Uh, and then we'll be back to our normal schedule, and I will be back with many tales to tell of my adventures as a National Security Agency representative in jolly old England. That'll be interesting. <laughs> Steve Gibson is at grc.com. That's where you'll find uh, not only 16 kilobit podcast versions of this show but also fully uh, human transcribed thank you elaine ferris uh transcriptions of the show uh, you'll also find SpinRight, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility and all of the great freebies that uh, steve gives away all the time it's also a place to go for questions grc.com slash feedback specifically um, yep. that's where you should leave your questions for future feedback episodes we have full bandwidth audio and video versions of the show at our website twit.tv slash sn for security now it's also on youtube.com slash security now it's also wherever you can get podcasts in fact subscribe you're going to want the complete set we have we have not yet put out the leather bound edition so you'll have to make your own but you do that by getting every episode every week of security now thanks steve we'll see you next time Thanks, my friend.